Welcome to the Business Benchmark Group podcast, where you'll learn how to think strategically about your business and discover that while business is not easy, it doesn't need to be hard. With over 20 years experience in turning stalling businesses into thriving enterprises, here is your host, Stefan Kazakis, the founder and CEO of Business Benchmark Group. Good afternoon, Duncan. It is a pleasure to have you here this afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm very well, thanks, mate. How are you? Well, let, let me just start by saying, you know, as a very young man and and, and heading into my my, my mid ages as we speak, Duncan, my uh, my driver in life was to be an educator, was to be a uh, I guess an agent for change and. And I remember about 15, 20 years ago when one of my mentors asked me, Stefan, I, I, I know you don't enjoy doing what you're doing right now. And, of course, that was a very long time ago for me. What is it that you want to be doing? And, I, and with one brief and very succinct message, I answered to him, I just want to be a leader of future leaders. I want to help people understand that there is a different way of doing not only life, but definitely business. And that was my little, you know, and I've saved that little, that little statement, but that has nothing as it relates to the work you and your amazing wife are doing since 2012 as the CEO and founder of Classroom of Hope and the impact as it relates to education is the gateway to better as it relates to the corners of the world that you have traveled and significantly made a difference and continuing to make a difference. And the momentum is only getting stronger. 250 million children do not have access to education. 130 million female children do not have access or are denied education. Welcome, Duncan. And if you can, if it is possible, in 50 words or less, how is it? How is it the classroom of hope was created and your greatest purpose of all, the continuance of helping young children in every part of the world be educated? In 50 words or less, Duncan, how is it that you have put yourself in such a position of impact? Thank you so much uh, for that introduction. Really appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> You know, that's a beautiful statement you had uh, um, around, I guess, uh, a short uh, version of your purpose. So, you know, I, I have one too. And, you know, as I see it as I'm, I'm here to serve uh, children of the world. And by doing that, I'm creating hope through education, education to help them unlock opportunities, to open the doors of opportunities where they can, you know, become thriving citizens of their own society by uh, creating uh, you know, jobs, et cetera, for their own families and for uh, people in their societies. So um, Classroom of Hope was born in 2012. Originally it was born because, uh, you know, at that point um, I had uh, lost my brother in my life and I was working corporate mining and management consultant back then in the corporate world. And uh, it was a real uh, key change in my life where I just started shifting everything and I, I wanted to make a difference and give back to uh, to the world through people and eventually through planet as well so classroom of hope was uh, was started and uh, you know our vision was every child being in school and getting the the just right education that they deserve it's a human right right and the purpose was to provide access to education and how we were doing that was by um, partnering with best practice local NGOs to implement uh, school building programs and education programs in uh, rural communities of developing countries. But since then, you know, we've pivoted and our, our mission has shifted a bit. Now it's about uh, building safe and sustainable schools uh, that give children that access to education. And um, we've started using uh, newer technologies where it's not just about the education crisis and you nailed a couple of uh, very big numbers there in terms of kids that don't have access to education, but we're also facing a plastic crisis across the world. We're facing a climate crisis and our new technology, the blocks, the block technology that we're using, we're building schools so much more efficiently in rural communities in Lombok um, out of recycled plastic and reducing our carbon footprints. So now touching 11 of the 17 UN SDGs means our impact curve is increasing significantly and that's what we want to do is create impact and leave a footprint that leaves the younger generations with something better in their futures and just on that Duncan it, um, 
in reading your um in your um your your website and the information at hand, you know, it's about one to two tons of recycled plastic to build a safe and and very structured in its um direction um classroom. So one to two tons of plastic recycled equals a classroom. I mean, that Correct. is a, such a a profound bonus to the education yeah. um, impact that you're making. So yeah. that is phenomenal. So what are some of your numbers right now? Tw- 10 years, 10 year anniversary, if I'm not mistaken, recently. Congratulations <laughs> yes, on right. that. Thank you so very what much. are yes. some of the numbers? What are some of the numbers as it relates to Classroom of Hope and, and the number mm. of students across all parts of the work you've done? Sure. So, um, yeah, in terms of beneficiaries across East Africa and Southeast Asia, we've served just over 27,000 students and we are close on reaching our 100th school um, that we have built in some of these rural communities. Um, most of them have been brick and mortar because that was our old model. And now, since you bringing in the new technology, we've built six uh, block schools and for each classroom, um, let me just count, we've got so three, six, nine, yeah, you know, at least 19 classrooms that we've built is removing, you know, one to two tons of plastic out of the environment from, and uh, that's good because we're cleaning up uh, the plastic that's around, but we're turning it into a value stream, right, through the circular economy. But not just that, as we're building, say, a uh, 40 to 60 square meter classroom, Um, You know, using cement and bricks and mortar, uh, construction, the third biggest emitter of carbon in the world, is we're now reducing our carbon footprint by about 4.4 tons if we're using 100% recycled plastic. And uh, that's incredible. You know, when you start adding up uh, 200 schools at five classrooms, you know, a thousand classrooms, that's significant carbon reduction. So that to us is important as well, because we are seeing a raft of disasters that are occurring across Asia, across the globe, across Africa, Middle East as well, Pakistan, major floods at the moment, and also Australia has been suffering from floods across across the country as well. So uh, those are some of the numbers. We have a pipeline of uh, 200 schools that we we intend to build over the next four years. And we've also pivoted. There are families that have lost their homes in Lombok through the earthquakes of 2018, where we're building 4,000 homes over uh, 10 years. That's about 33 homes we're building per month to get families into a safe and secure home that is earthquake resistant and made from recycled plastic. That is a, uh, and no two ways about it, that, that, that project or those those pledges will be fulfilled and then you continue to to move this into other other parts of the world predominantly southeast asia and as you mentioned the african nations but that is a phenomenal piece of work if, if this is your life's work i would imagine yeah absolutely it's you know it's 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 purpose for me i wake up every day and i'll be bluntly honest with you it never feels like work for me i work my ass off but it never feels like work to me um it feels like i'm doing just what i'm supposed to be doing you know and in answer to that question yes we do have expansion plans once we have got this program up and running we're looking at other regions that are suffering from disasters and high poverty zones where we can build much more efficiently um, and, you know, the international development sector and disaster relief will see schools and homes that are built in a matter of days and weeks rather than months. So it's much more efficient. It, it is amazing. I mean, Business Benchmark Group, as we know, has pledged to build a school with Classroom of Hope in, in, in early 2023. And, and we, were, we are planning to come over for the, uh, the building of the school. And you said, Stefan, it takes about five to seven days to build the four classrooms plus the playground, plus the restrooms and, and the lunchroom. He goes, it doesn't take long to build. So it is a phenomenal, it is a phenomenal uh, story and, and a great uh, global story in the making. No two ways about it. And congratulations, Duncan. It's so good to um, to hear it as it relates to, and I did say 50 words or less, knowing that that would be a hard thing to do. But thank you, for, thank you so much for that. And as we sort of segue into, I guess, um, for those listening that who don't know you, um, tell us, tell us, give us a snapshot of you and what a day in the life of Duncan Ward, CEO and founder of Classroom of Hope, actually looks like. What does a day look like for you, yeah. Duncan? Okay, so, you know, first thing I do, um, you know, is wake up early uh, before the kids are waking up and I try to uh, have a good stretch of the body and do a quick meditation. 
and uh, a little bit of exercise. And then when the kids are waking up, it's uh, straight into the routine with my two beautiful daughters, getting them ready for school. Um, my wife and I then uh, take them off to school. And then straight after that, I'm actually in the swimming pool doing some exercise and swimming. Once I'm out of the pool, I get myself ready for the day. The first part of the morning is more focused on um, strategic things or urgent um, activities rather than jumping into straight into email. I leave the email to the later part of the morning. Um, because I feel that's the best time I can be creative and get real ideas going and flowing. Um, in those morning meetings, I'm talking to our executive team, our COO, our program director, um, our creative director, where are we at with um, our strategy and the activities that relate to that uh, strategy that we're implementing and uh, how our programs progressing, how our fundraising progressing, and um, just ensure we're all on path and everybody's being supported within the team. Uh, the afternoon is the same, also catching up on all the emails and building new partnerships, managing donor relations, which is something I highly value is relationships and putting that time and effort in with our donors is really important. And I like to do that personally, especially with our major donors. And then, um, yeah, after that, heading straight home. Uh, if I'm not catching up with a few friends in the afternoon or evening, um, I'm heading home to uh, be with the children and I do my best to switch off and have quality time with my family and then uh, into the night, ready for the next day after some good sleep. So, so, so on a score scale of zero to 10, 10 being high, what mm. is your switch off score at? Six. <laughs> well that's, that's just one under me mate which yeah, uh again that's yeah, that's a, i'm gonna yeah. call that progress well, it yeah. is for me. Anyway, so well done. Yeah. <laughs> what, what what has been your number one number one biggest learning obviously you had a career in in corporate mm -hmm. and and that was very very meaningful in the last 10 or so years you've had this career in in, in social and uh and no doubt philanthropy and charitable causes what has been your number one biggest learning in business and or life all inclusive and how has it helped shape you in your business mm. yeah so gosh there's a couple i can think of but certainly for me i believe my greatest lesson on the journey of building classroom of hope and even in my corporate world um, when I was uh, suited and boosted is that um, it's not about, you know, it, it's about the journey and it's about the experiences that you're having on that journey and ensuring that every experience or interaction that you're having is having a positive effect it doesn't matter if you're working on a consulting report or if you're raising funds it doesn't matter whatever you feel right in doing your job but um i i feel my greatest lesson i was working so hard and so much in the alpha side like you know and and really focusing on activities and outcomes and outputs and getting everything done and and there's value in that it's important but also just taking a step back and having a breather and trying to click in with self-awareness that am I, am I enjoying myself? Do I feel like I'm having a good time? It's a lot of my time in the day that I'm giving away to work. And if I am and I'm answering those questions as yes, then, then that's great. I keep going, you know. And to me, it's all those different experiences, whether it's a positive experience or a negative experience. To me, a negative experience or a failure within a situation is giving us a lesson and it helps us grow, it helps us learn, it helps us develop. And to me, the journey over the last 10 years has helped with my character building, um, my emotional intelligence in being calm in tougher situations in challenging situations and just learning how to be the best version of myself for my work and my family. Love that. And, and I love the, uh, the reference to the alpha side. <laughs> Because it, because there is a myth, you know, the most successful people just are the most driven, the most resilient, the most alpha. But in fairness, having that balance of the self-awareness level is is definitely um, a, a very important um, piece to uh, learnings and uh, and progress in life. What prompted you to help businesses navigate the uh, the COVID nineteen crisis with the daily live streaming service on Facebook, where you were you were attracting over six thousand small business owners daily. How did that how did that play out for you? So you know, from from our perspective during COVID, the first thing we did was one is ensure our team is taken care of and our duty of care. 
Um, secondly, is we needed to move fast with uh, some of our larger donors that have been with us and been loyal and very connected with us. And we asked them for assistance in providing us with further operational funding to provide us with the reserve and a cushion to protect the organization and not have to let any staff go. We realized that schools were shutting, everything was shutting, people were going into lockdown, so our programs were stopping. Um, in some countries, the building continued because it was seen as a necessary uh, work that could continue with construction. So we, we took the time to one, focus on the people and to the team and to share that with our community and be transparent about how we are managing this through that time and what's happening with our schools, what's happening with the kids in those schools. And um, also taking that time to go within and to have a look and work you know, on the organization rather than marching in that alpha is what are we doing strategically? Do we need to pivot? You know, uh, what if we run out of funds? What are we going to do to weather this storm and get through it successfully? And, you know, <clears throat> we're very blessed. We've got incredible donors that we work with. They supported us and we had a good reserve and we saw ourselves get through the uh, COVID times. But what we also did was <clears throat> We pivoted um, in Bali, you know, we served, I think it was close to over 200,000 meals. There were families that had nothing that lost their jobs. So uh, we worked with a couple of partners under the disaster relief side of things to serve just simple food and water, you know, to, to those that needed it most. And uh, that was a side sub program that we kicked off during that time as well. Yeah, fantastic. And I guess, um... On, on a tangent from Classroom of Hope, on a tangent, let's go a little tangentially, uh, what are you most proud of in your life? You know, and, and what would you say is your number one legacy? And again, let's just go tangential to Classroom of Hope because Classroom of Hope would be the easy go-to here, no two ways mm. about it. But as a tangent to that, you know, the, the spin-off, the pivots, the, the splinters that occur as it relates to, oh, and I didn't even see this happening, right, which, which could be also the... Uh, the, 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 the recycling piece that you're, you're so, as a magnet, being attracted to right now and driving in a big way globally, um, what are you most proud of in your life? And what would you say, if you had a chance to go forward 10 years and look back, what do you think would be the number one legacy for you over the next 520 weeks in life? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good question. You know, so... There's so many things I'm proud of. Well, one, um, without, you know, that it being egotistical, but more coming from my heart, is I'm proud of myself of where I've come to, you know. Um, I came from Cape Town in South Africa, and I was born and raised there. My parents gave me enough money for a ticket and uh, one month's accommodation to fly to the UK. My grandfather was British, so I was able to stay there. And uh, I did that at the age of 19 by myself. And my first job was sweeping London Bridge Station, Victoria Station. I was a street sweeper for about 12 months. And then I became a mobile toilet cleaner. I cleaned up toilets, um, traveling with the jazz festival across the UK. Loved the music, but didn't like cleaning up people's crap. <laughs> um, I have worn so many different hats. And I remember standing on the concourse, cleaning up uh, London Bridge Station, seeing everybody in their suits going, I wonder what all these people do. And I wonder if I could do that, you know. And over time, I got, you know, I met some incredible people and some fortunate things landed in my lap. And I got trained up to be a network engineer. And my engineering qualifications is what um, allowed me to immigrate into Australia and I became an Australian citizen and I started working in network engineering and working my way up into management consulting and working in mining and my life turned around significantly and you know for someone and I've still got the old photos of uh, myself sweeping uh, sweeping the station but I'm also very proud and and I'm not uh, scared to tell people about my history and, and my own journey but I also came from an incredible family with wonderful parents brother and sister and I had an awesome upbringing my parents had great values and you know taught us about everything Nelson Mandela stood for and um, I'm proud of myself you know but I am also you're right proud of everything that's just been achieved on the block solution side you know to bring a new technology from Finland into a developing country that has its own complexities like Indonesia 
and incorporating those businesses, supporting it, trying to hire the staff, bringing in a 2.4 million euro investment, setting up the pitches that was required, the financial numbers and modeling that was required to pitch to those investors to land that investment during COVID, you know, and to win that investment. And now we are looking at Asia's first factory being built in Lombok and an OEM factory that's starting to produce blocks in November now. And this technology is going to start pumping out blocks and cleaning up Indonesia and building homes and building schools for people in the society here. I'm thoroughly proud of that. But I also don't want to take all the credit. I'm very proud of my wife and my co-founder of Classroom of Hope. She helped me build that organization. She's the creative genius behind our branding and behind, uh, you know, connecting our donors with the impact through impact reporting and our team, you know. So um, many things to be proud of, but those are two things that stick out. Yeah, and they do say, Duncan, uh, behind a great man, he's an even greater woman. <laughs> woman Absolutely, and um, <laughs> power to them. If you could go back to tell your 17-year-old self three things, what would they be? Now, you gave us the 19-year-old version, which was amazing, but if you could go back to tell your 17-year-old <clears throat> self three things, what would they be? Um, first one would be buckle up, mate. It's going to be a great ride. Uh, <laughs> the second thing would be is there's going to be some hardships and some challenges, but don't take it too hard and push through. Keep your persistence and your perseverance um, because uh, the challenges are part of helping you become who you are as your best person. You know, it's easy to be just in the light, but you need to experience the dark to know what the light is. So I thoroughly believe in life. You've got to go through those challenges and those hardships because it defines how you're going to be as a person growing up when you mature. And the last thing would be is... Uh, just have fun, enjoy yourself in this world. There's so much beauty on this planet and so many beautiful things in people, despite some of the negative things that are going on there. Keep your chin up and just have fun as much as you can. Love it. Um, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take a risk with this question. Um, I'm really eager to hear what you say. If you okay. could remove all barriers and constraints, what project would you do and why? If there was anything you can do, bigger or better than what you're doing right now, what would that be and why? If I could, you know what? For me, the greatest barrier I would like to see removed is some of the um, inequities in the world, you know, and governments in the Western world could do so much for also on the developing side through aid and development, and they do do a lot, you know, but I believe we have the resources and the capability and the technology to create macro level global change across Africa, across Asia, across some of the poorest places in the world. And Western powers have got that capability. We have that money, despite what people might think. So if I could remove all of those barriers and all the politics and the power across the world that sometimes can be complex, for governments to get the outcomes that they want to achieve for people through equities and through balance. I would love to be in that position where I have access to all of those resources to implement all of those inequalities so that we can resolve the 17 UN SDGs, which is ultimately every 15 years, we look at the same SDGs going, we've got this issue, we've got that issue, we've got poverty. We should have resolved poverty ages ago. I'm sorry. We have got that capability to do it. It's unfortunate that the global systems we are living in at the moment constrains and even the greatest of leaders of countries that are doing their best have to work within those systems you know and it takes time and years and if those barriers were broke down and we had a small group that could execute that wow then uh, to me i'm not asking to make the world perfect i'm just saying everybody deserves access to an education clean water a home a household um, the basic necessities to live a good life, energy. And, and again, you know, on the back of all that is this elevated level of self-esteem and the ripple effect of that is profound. I mean, that's, that's I love what you just shared there. And, and I'm just thinking, you know, if that was to be a barrier removed or an obstacle to be dismantled, mm. how long would it take 130 million young girls right now that are denied education? to be in the education system? How long do you think 
it will take if those barriers were removed. Will it be one year, two years, 10 years? That's 130 million. Yeah. As we know it today, yeah. young girls that have no access are denied access, which is even worse than not having no access to mm. education. How long do you think it will take to uh, solve that problem on its own, Duncan? Sure. So I'm uh, in complete honesty, I wouldn't be able to quantify the time for resolution. But what I do know as one example is to resolve the education crisis, the amount of money that is spent on military in 10 days for the US government is what is required per year to resolve the education crisis. And I saw that statistic out of the UN. Um, it was an infographic actually that I saw. Um, so to me is the money is there and the implementers are there, but actually no, a really good point that's just come in my mind now is yes, we have NGO, we have charities. To me, I don't believe that all the world's issues are gonna be solved by charity and the not-for-profit. I actually believe it's the business and the private sector that will solve the problems. Businesses are becoming so much more focused on social purpose. Social enterprise businesses are starting to really grow at a faster rate where they're focusing on you know, products that can deliver social purpose, but happens to be providing profitability as well. To me, that's perfect. Financial return on investment, social return on investment. So seeing um, you know, a lot more uh, of, of, of businesses really putting time and energy, not into just CSR, but really taking things to the further end of that is, is social impact and um, ensuring that it has a, a much greater impact in the amount of money that they've got access to is what can solve a lot of these issues across the world. And as I'm hearing you share that, I've just, I've just gone to my trusted calculator. And I've gone 130 million divided by 250 per school equals 520,000 schools. And if they all took 10 days each to be built, I've got a number that I can't interpret, right? It's number of days, right? There's yeah. the other parts of this, and I agree, it's way bigger than charity. Mm. This is a way of life and a, and a movement at much larger proportions. And, okay. and I just feel... Um, you and many others that are on this pathway, I guess myself at a much lesser degree than you are, but, but very encouraged by what you're doing and leading the way. Um, I think I think it's the uh, it, it's it, it takes it takes a community to build, it takes a village to build a cathedral, right? No, so it's going to take yeah. many more to be raising their hand saying, "I'll do my little bit." Mm. So if you think about business benchmark group, we're building our first in conjunction with Classroom of Hope in North Lombok. In two years' time, next year, or in two, 2024, there's no reason why we can't build three. 2025, there's no reason why we can't build five. Now, the ripple effect of that, as minor as that little project is, but the, but, but, but the ripple effect is monumental and for life if everyone just did their little bit. So yeah. I think there is a number or there's a framework or a formula that surmounts to this is what it is. and and breaking down those barriers, removing yeah. those obstacles is fundamental. And, and it's going to take um, people at the pointy end in terms of influence, which is where you step in and, and many at your level that are doing the work you're doing um, need to, to lead the way on that. And power to you, Duncan, and, and the work you do there, mate. Very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. It's a good one point I just want to raise there um, that you mentioned, mate, is the ripple effect. You know, and I, I think about this a lot and I talk to my peers in the sector about it a lot is, yes, let's say you built uh, five, 10 schools, et cetera. Consider the possibility of one of those students becoming a prime minister or a president of that country and creating internal systemic change within that government or that country. You know, uh, the indirect impact, the potential of the indirect impact is significant, you know, and you just need a few of those within that group of, uh, of, of uh, students that become thriving citizens and that become leaders of their country or green leaders that uh, enact change or change policy that in turn brings uh, internal systemic change as well. Well, yeah, and, and it goes back to that age old philosophy, you know, you teach someone to fish they eat for the day, but you teach them, sorry, you give someone a fish, you feed them for the day, you teach them to fish, you feed them for life, right? Yeah. So that yeah. whole educational piece on the back of the green and or sustainability piece, this is 
this is a path that um, beckons and and the more of the more, you know, there is the law of precession. We do our little bit here at 90 degrees. We have no idea of the full impact that we have created or have by a little pebble rippling away how far it reaches. So amazing, amazing um, um, thought process as it relates to removing barriers and constraints and, and changing, as Simon Sinek says, the finite game to an infinite game. There's no end. Yep. It's just continuum, yep. you know, continuum as it relates to everything we do. So what's the biggest surprise you've ever had in business or in life? And and, and why is that, as you can reflect on it, your your reference to your biggest surprise? Uh, my biggest surprise and my greatest surprise in, in, in my life was actually my two girls. You know, so uh, they are my life and my heart and my everything. And, you know, I've been working with Nicholas so hard and serving children of the world. I also want to make sure I'm, I'm serving my own kids and teaching them the value of altruism and giving back and the power that each individual has through simple changes and activities in making a difference in the world. So <clears throat> to me, uh, I mean, it's, it's a blessing. That, that, you know, it's a blessing and um, I never thought I was going to be a dad, but uh, here I am with the two beautiful girls. So that is it. Amazing. Well done, buddy. One of our strategies that we teach our, uh, our business owners here at Business Benchmark Group is a concept called business owner time, where you get to review, reflect and reset. And typically we encourage our clients to build that cadence of review, reflect, reset on a weekly basis. Every seven days there's that time where you're truly in, 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 in your state of highest strategy and ultimately the tactical response that comes from there. So as it relates to business owner time or leadership owner's time, um, setting aside time weekly to do to do the stuff that moves the boat faster, moves mm. the challenges forward, moves the obstacles away. Do you have any secret routines? I like to call them rituals, R-I-C-H-A-U-A-Ls. Do you have any rituals that help you stay productive? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I try to implement the, uh, the, you know, the seven effective uh, habits into, into my life and, that helps me keep on top of uh, the workload and to structure my workload, but making time, um, to be honest, it's, it's, it, it, it's been challenging. It's not easy. I, I do my best to make the time to take a step back with our executive team and to just uh, ensure that we're keeping on, on with our strategy and the delivery of our strategy, but also uh, timing to get creative around what does the future state looks like, you know, and with this new technology that's come in and, um, uh, our chief operating officer and myself, we occasionally go and have board meetings and by board meetings, we go for a surf. Uh, we're both surfers and, you know, surfing is a different kind of meditation, catch a few waves and you're in the zone and you feel present. And we use that time. We call it our board meeting to uh, discuss some of these ideas. Let's just take a step back. Where are we at with everything and bounce ideas of each other. And, uh, uh, similarly, uh, with the rest of the team, we have got uh, structured meetings where we catch up to discuss where we're at where we're going and have we achieved some of these key objectives that we need to within our strategy. Uh, fantastic. And again, team alignment is a very important piece of uh, everyone being on the same page, heading in the same direction. Uh, what's been your biggest, um, look, the, the question will ask failure. I'm going to say learning. What's been your biggest learning in the last year and why do you think that happened? And what's the benefit of it happening in the next three to five years? Yeah. Um, so my biggest learning in the last year has been since this new technology has come into Classroom of Hope, we have the opportunity to pivot to a, a much larger level and a much larger scale. And uh, the learning has been, again, coming back to the previous question, is making the time to develop what the new operating model looks like and what the new team structure looks like when we reach that point where X amount of funding is coming in the door, where we're building five schools a month and 33 homes per month with our local partners. What do we need to change within our business processes and our systems to ensure we can create more automation so we're more efficient, we're more productive, and everybody understands how all those business processes work within the different business functions. So um, 
my, my greatest learning and it really hit me quite hard was this is happening very, very quickly and we need to move fast and bring the team together and bounce the ideas and work with our board of directors as well to define a strategy and a future state and bring in different kinds of expertise as well and even to appoint institutional expertise because when you start going to that higher level it comes with a higher level of scrutiny compliance and governance and making sure that you've got the right people on the right seats at the right bus is is important to that an exponential growth can come like it's coming it's coming it's coming geez we're here it's happened yeah but yeah. you can predict it but until you're in it, it, it hasn't happened. And, yeah. and like all great um, models and, 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 and business models of that, you're, you're always looking for the, um, the, the, the points of leverage, the points of synergy, the points of scale. Mm -hmm. But until you're into the fast, let's call it, vertical piece of exponential growth, you are yeah. actually not in it, right? Yeah. Um, so from your perspective, if you're reflecting on, on, on other um, organisations that from a social impact um, um, perspective have also experienced the same type of, oh, God, we're here. Now we're yeah. expected to do like 10x in terms yeah. of projects and you don't want to be saying no because this is, these are people that are believing and mm. absolutely on board. Like we are here at Business Benchmark Group on the journey now. And you don't want to stop that. That is something yeah. that you, you know, this is the world now responding to your quest for, I want to make a difference. Yeah. You can't push people back. So what are the reference points? And you don't need to be specific other than just give me the way you think around this. I think it's important mm. even for business owners listening to this or, or other people who are on the social enterprise um, pathways, what is the way of thinking as it relates to Duncan Ward's way of thinking for how you deal with that hyper growth that hyper demand that can't have you saying no yeah yeah absolutely uh there's you know there's a number of books that i have read and to me and some of my mentors who i've worked with over the years is find those who are where you would like to be find out who they are what are their stories read their books what were their challenges what was uh what worked for them especially when it came to exponential growth how did they manage that how did they ensure they had sustainability to protect that um and you know from scott harrison to charity water his book thirst from um adam braun pencils of promise these are organizations that have gone from uh, uh, zero uh, you know sixty thousand in a year all the way up to 55 million in a year that are solving some of the world's greatest issues and um uh you know i've read a lot of sir richard branson's book i've also had the pleasure of meeting him and he's given me some advice as well many years back on how to manage this over time and and, and to deal with the growth and the other important question um we have to ask ourselves is where is enough enough that you don't put the organization at too much risk by growing too fast and too large that it also puts you at risk of falling very quickly when you do have the downtimes or a global recession occurs you know and if you don't have that you know those reserves in place an endowment fund or you've managed to negotiate shares in a social enterprise business that provides residual dividends into the organization that can sustain your operational budget so you don't lose any team members um, putting all of those pieces in place to ensure that you can be successful way into the future uh, and be sustainable to me is everything i think about all the time because i i want that you know and the other point is you know, where does this go beyond the founders as well? You know, um, I'm very conscious and I've read a lot of books about founder syndrome and, you know, and this, this isn't, you know, in the beginning, you can have a spark and Nick and I have done a great job in putting all our efforts, you know, um, I'm great at these things, but there's others that are great at those things and complementing those skill sets, bringing them in to support you with that accelerated growth, ensuring that there is really smart science. You can have a great story, but if you've got good, smarts and science and a good business model and a good operating model with great people then you've got a recipe for success so to me surrounding myself with great people is really important and we've got great people around us as well as our board members so uh yeah i'm to me i know the growth is there and the opportunity is there to scale very quickly but i want to ensure we have a cushion to protect the organization and knowing if we reach, I don't know, is it 10 million a year or 15 million or, or 8 million where you go, let's just hold here and reach our equilibrium, you know, 
we don't want to have the law of diminishing product kicking in where things really go pear-shaped very quickly um, because we haven't put in those smarts. And to me, um, people are, an organization is a group of people. Richard Branson told me this. That's all it is. A company is just a group of people with a common mission trying to do good with your products and to deliver services to people or to planet, whatever it may be, whether it's a corporation or whether it's, it's we're all trying to deliver value, right? The intentions are there. So yeah, to me, taking care of the people and ensuring the people are looked after is important because they're the ones that have the wheels going. And, and my mentor, Keith Cunningham, shares with me, he says, Stefan, at this point, you are the custodian. You are the leader of whatever you're doing, right? This is your, your time, and it's a chapter in the book. And it mm. might be a paragraph in the chapter. Who knows? Mm. And he says to me, run it as if it's going to run for 100 years. Run it as if you're going to run this thing for 100 years and have it ready to be handed over to the next leader tomorrow. That's your yep. job. And he yep. said, at every <laughs> stage and every phase, the the organization, whatever the organization is, cannot outperform its leader. It can never. The glass ceiling is where the leaders. This is why having the boards, the advisory, having access with no ego to how how could we, how may we, how would we, having an opportunity to ask those very curiosity based uh, questions and modeling as if we were five five steps ahead or five steps behind. And that's the job of a leader, right? Being always in tune with the good, the bad, and the ugly, and having what I would call plan A, B, and C at, yes. at the second draw within reach. So love that. Absolutely. And I love this conversation, by the way, because scale is, is is what we are afforded in these very, very, you know, amazing countries that we live in. And this is what we're trying to teach countries who don't have access to this type of thinking and how how that could impact in so many ways if they got to understand there is no limit to what is possible. Amazing. Um, if you could have a dinner party with just three people, dead or alive, who would they be and why have you chosen them? <laughs> <laughs> wow, great question. Uh, do you know, uh, first of all, so I don't get in trouble, I'm going to pick my wife because I love having dinners with her. <laughs> And we bounce ideas and, and talk about all sorts of cool things over a, a glass of red wine. Um, uh, so there's you know, one seat. Yeah, there's there's a couple. Oh, I'd love to have another three, but um, <laughs> I am going to go with um, uh, Holly Ransom in Australia. She, I believe, is a potential future prime minister of our country. And I love everything that she is doing across the globe and the, the change she is igniting. And to me, she is one of the global leaders. I mean, she interviewed Barack Obama and, you know, she's, you know, with Richard Branson, but she's a smart businesswoman and she's changing the world and the new generations that are coming in. She understands everything so well and, and understands uh, government and policy and everything. And I believe she's a, a global change maker and she's full of ideas and uh, she's a good friend of mine as well. Um, another one would be, um, uh, Malala Yousafzai, uh, you know, she was uh, a young girl who was uh, shot by the, uh, the Taliban at a very young age because she was trying to access education. And now she has become, she survived that. She got flown over to the UK and I've read her book. Um, I'll say it again, Malala Yousafzai, extraordinary young woman uh, who is shaping education and being a pioneer for young women and girls' education and woman empowerment. A lot of people don't know the power of, of, of women and the statistics around that. There's a great book called Heart the Sky, you know, for, you know, every um, uh, five, you know, if you empower an educated woman, they'll bring five out of poverty with them, you know, as men, it's one or two. And um, to me, you can speed up, uh, exponentially by fighting poverty, by focusing on women and girls. Um, and if you look at Project Drawdown on the top 100 initiatives or things you can do to fight climate change, girls' education, I think, is number six in the world by focusing on women and girls' education that can impact climate change. So to me, I've, I'm just inspired by her. I'd love to sit and talk with her. 
and she's one. And uh, another person would be um, uh, Richard Branson. You know, um, when I caught up with him, I'm inspired by how he runs his businesses, but I'm also inspired by the change that he's creating through Virgin Unites across the globe and how he uses his wealth for the greater good as well. And he's actually just a really fun guy as well. And uh, I, I think he'd be a lot of fun over a few wines. <laughs> No doubt, and I know you had the pleasure of meeting him um, um, several years ago, where he handed you a uh, a significant award that you had won, and it was on your bucket list to hug him, I believe, and and then it you was. let him know that it's also on your bucket <laughs> list to go to the moon with him. So who knows? You, you know what they say: <laughs> don't, if you don't ask, you don't get, right? <laughs> exactly. I'd love to go into space to with Virgin Galactic. Yeah, that's definitely on my bucket list. <laughs> I love that. Um, if I can help you unwind three financial decisions, actually, if you had a chance, even better, I think, if you had a chance to unwind three financial decisions in your life, how much more money would you have right now? Um... Wow, that's a good question. I'll just have to have a little quick think about that. Um, are we talking about financial wealth for myself personally or unwinding? Do you know, the, the, the question comes from a place of how we view the tool called money. Because mm, mm. that's what it is, right? It's a river that flows. And yeah. we can go with our hand, we can go with a bucket, we yeah. can go with a truck. It doesn't matter. It's a yeah. river that flows, right? That's where we come from yeah. with that question. Because yeah. these are about the learnings in life, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I think yeah, growing up, I probably have made, uh, you know, many mistakes in terms of financial decisions or investments that haven't worked out, for example, you know, where I've lost money. But um, I understood those risks at the time and that I needed to take some of those risks uh, to see if I could get a return on investment or build some wealth from some of that. Some have worked out, some haven't worked out, you know, and, and I'm okay with that because I understood the risk at the time. But um, uh, in terms of uh, unwinding any uh, financial decision, I, I just, I'm just a big believer that everything happens for a reason and everything has a lesson to teach me and everything has its purpose and uh, whether it I don't like it or not is there's something to learn in that situation and that experience so the version I am right now understands that so looking back is I have no regrets on my life on my decisions on my failures or anything I've just I'm at peace by learning that everything is trying to teach me something to be a better person on this journey that is life, whether it's financial, family, um, anything. And, and I, I'm okay with that. Mate, well Doesn't done. Quite now, directly answer the question. But, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah. but, 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 you know, <laughs> I, I think it goes very much with the, uh, it's very much aligned with where you are right now. And, and in yeah. fairness, um, you're making a significant, um, way more impact than billions of dollars can can do in your own bank account, right? You're making way more impact, and um, so so the question does come from our philosophy, our relationship, sometimes our our um, scarcity as it relates mm. to money, as it is in yeah. the abundance of a river that and, flows. And you're right; it is an abundance that's out there, you know. And I'm also a big believer in, you know, the power of the law of attraction, you know, and ensuring that what you are thinking and being in that state of feeling abundant is, I believe, you're sending off an energy, and that can bring abundance into your life. But also good hard work, you know, and working hard for everything and believing what's possible, you know. I always look at the example of uh, the founder of McDonald's. Have you seen that movie, The Founder? Yeah, it's and amazing. It's it's brilliant, you know. The guy was a persistent, absolute persistent mongrel. But I look at him, yeah, sure, he wasn't the kindest person. He wasn't selfish, but I admire him. He was 57 years old and he went around selling milkshake machines and he built one of the world's largest corporations through McDonald's. Whether you like the food or not, I'm just looking at the individual and what commitment and persistence that individual had was extraordinary. And the power, again, of belief, the power of distinction, the power of, hey, unless I ask the question, I'm never going to know. Yeah. You know it it yeah. takes a lot of courage. Actually, it takes a lot of courage to listen. I'm going to go as far as that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Being a listener is good. So what is the, <laughs> which is timely for this question, this is one of our last questions here. What is the best advice, Duncan, you've received? 
and or been given? Um, you know, my dad gave me some advice years ago, uh, just with, you know, through my life journey. And I've, I've had my challenges through the early work I was doing, you know, where I was earning pittance and everything, you know, and my dad has been, and, and, and my mother as well, have been, you know, huge backers and supporters um, of, of me as an individual and, and so loving and supportive. And just um, the, the good advice, even on the days where I was in tears or struggling through those times, is my dad always said, you know, tomorrow's another day, pick yourself up, the sun will be out and just keep going forward. You know, you're going to be okay. And uh, even though it's very uh, subtle, uh, fatherly advice, is, um, it was very profound for me because um, in those times I really needed that. Yeah, well done. Thank you, Duncan. Um, founder and CEO of Classroom of Hope, yourself um, and your beautiful wife, Nicola, have made a significant impact in your first 10 years at Classroom of Hope. I have no doubt that the, that, that the continuance of the work over the next 10 years and beyond. Your two beautiful girls who are very, very, very important and sacred to your, to your existence and their ability to be uh, brought up in a home that gives them um, a clear, direct line of understanding the power of giving and the, uh, the reciprocal um, elements that, that, that are afforded to every one of us. As we give, we should be okay to receive. Thank you so much for being here and sharing a little piece of your journey and some um, wise words of wisdom as it relates to some of the uh, some of the bits and pieces that make impact for you on a day to day, and or some of the learnings, some of the some of the failures, some of the success elements of your day to day. I thank you so much for being here this afternoon. We look forward to catching up in person um, early in twenty twenty three and uh, going on a more elevated journey with you and the team at Classroom of Hope. Um, I thank you so much for being here this afternoon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity and I've had a great time chatting to you. So thank you very much as well from my side. It's our pleasure. For more information about Business Benchmark Group's coaching, education and training programs, visit businessbenchmarkgroup.com.au or call 03-9001-0878. If you liked this podcast, please rate it on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud and leave feedback as well. Stefan shares so much value in all his podcasts and we encourage you to go through the archives and listen to other episodes of the Business Benchmark Group podcast. Thank you for listening.